Hello, this is Nikki, Mindset and Life Coach, and you are listening to the Mind House Ball Podcast, where we are on a mission to normalize normal conversations, get comfortable with our mental health, and provide space for growth, learning, and empowerment. Thank you for joining us, and I'm so glad you are here. Welcome to the podcast. Um, how how are you today? Yeah, good. Thanks for uh, having me on. But yeah, very good. Very good here in sunny Dubai. The weather's calming down a little bit, so uh, <laughs> it's not quite fifty-five degrees anymore, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, good. And how how are you today? Is everything okay in your world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All all good. Busy day uh, ahead with work. Um, and obviously, this uh, fantastic um, thing that you're doing as well. So yeah, yeah. excited for the conversation um, ahead. Yeah, so I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. And are you okay to just give us a really quick introduction as to who you are and um, sort of what you do and how you um, maybe just tell us a little bit about how this conversation came about as well? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So yeah, my name is Chris Bowman. Um, I'm an elite performance coach. I work with um, a lot of elite athletes here in Dubai, uh, guys from the Premier League coming over, training with us during the off-season or for rehab. Um, work with a lot of the footballers here in the UAE as well. Background is eight years in professional football in England with Leeds United, Bolton Wanderers, a couple of other clubs along the way as well. Um, and I guess the conversation, obviously, We've known each other for, for a number of years, probably mm-hmm. from a distance, um, being from the same place, a lot of mutual friends. And, um, you know, mental health uh, awareness is something I'm very passionate about. I've been directly affected uh, by the, the loss of, of close people to me through suicide. Um, and it's a space that I do try and actively promote, get on board with, you know, running ran the Dubai Marathon for, for Calm, campaign against living miserably um, in January this year. And to be honest, I, I do quite a lot of running events and, and throughout all them, I, I stick the Calm vest on, uh, more it. for the awareness side of things because yes, obviously the charity needs the finance, but it also needs the, uh, the, the support and the, the brand awareness as well um, to mm-hmm. make the impact that they're, they're looking for. Yeah, love that. Such a strong introduction. And um, yeah, so your, your career, like you said, I've, we've been watching each other from the sidelines for quite a while. Um, I think you moved to Dubai a very similar time as when I moved here. I think I recall um, your, from looking at your Instagram, it looked like you was there ages before you actually were. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember sort of when you made the, the jump to move to Dubai, it was quite a similar time. Um, and it's just been amazing to see everything that you've done and have achieved in the past few years in Dubai and just working with some incredible people. Um, so yeah, it has been really nice to see that. Um, and I'm really keen to just have a chat with you in specifically in relation to um, mental health and what you've experienced in your career so far. Um, and then also, I know you just briefly touched on it, but your own personal experience as well. And the purpose of this conversation, I suppose, is to just give the listeners a little bit of an insight into what can actually happen behind closed doors, I suppose. Um, The whole purpose of me wanting to do this campaign for September, um, sort of, you know, the mental health awareness, suicide prevention is to open the conversations with people like you who've got a story, who've got experiences, um, with people who you wouldn't necessarily think that they had something um, or they had, you know, mental health issues or mental health, um, even, you know, even that it was in the topic of conversation. So um, can you just elaborate a little bit on sort of your career over the last two years and what you have sort of found with mental health working with the people that you work with? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I mean, to be honest, the, the kind of journey from a professional point of view and mental health probably stems back to, to day one of, of 
being in the football environment. I mean, obviously, from the outside looking in, life seems great for footballers. Um, yeah. You know, the, the flash cars, watches, holidays, um, everything that goes along with being a footballer. But I think what we sometimes forget is that they are humans um, and they are in a exceptionally highly pressurised environment with a lot of media scrutiny. Um, it, you know, it's not a very forgiving place to be. If you make mistakes, you've got, you know, 15, 20,000 plus, you know, 100,000 sometimes people on your back um yeah. and that you know that takes uh takes its toll especially um you know if things aren't particularly good at home and all the other environmental factors that are around it um so throughout my professional career i mean there's been a number of occasions where i have had players with depression you know as the club physio in the building all the time head of medicine you're the person that they kind of um they, they seek the guidance from really yeah uh, and they confide in obviously um so then it's down you know to to that person me in those environments or the club physio to kind of you know put them on to the club doctor or the welfare staff um a lot of clubs now out there in the uk in particular have got infrastructures in place around mental health because it's becoming a, a more and more uh, widely acknowledged thing um, so they have a welfare officer the clubs employ psychologists now um, obviously club doctors are involved um, and so I think the message really is that you know these people that you maybe look at and think are invincible yeah um, really aren't you know they're they're just normal human beings like you and I so mm -hmm. they are susceptible to these problems and you know as a football fan having you know I am a passionate football fan as well as working in the game and um, seeing kind of the abuse some of these guys get you know particularly social media social media is crazy for it yeah. um, you know coupled with my own personal experiences of mental health I look at it and I think if only people knew, you know, if, yeah. if, if people knew the impact that these things have, that, you know, they don't all have thick skins sort of thing. Um, yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of the, the experience I've had from a professional point of view with um, depression, mental health from a, from a professional point of view. And, yeah. you know, I must add that it is, it's always resulted in a positive outcome. There's never been a negative outcome, i.e., you know, somebody taking their life from, from things. But um, I've always been very passionate because of my personal background to ensure that person was speaking. They were given the time and the support to, to kind of, you know, get through the tough patch. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of high-profile examples within football, particularly when, when players retire. Yeah. You know, players retire at a young age. Uh, they've had a lot of money. They've got a lot of time on their hands. They are very susceptible to uh, kind of addictions. You know, a lot of players in the past have lost a lot of money in gambling. Um, yeah. They tend to retire and sometimes turn to alcohol to kind of get that daily fix of um, of what they were what they're missing now without without training and being around mm -hmm. that changing room environment with the lads so um thankfully footballing in the uk in particular seems to be really um really kind of focusing on this as an issue and as the issue yeah. that it's been for many years good oh well thank you for sharing that um i think that's something that that i talk about quite a lot as well in that um we when you are in a normal job and you live a semi-normal life and by that I mean that you're not in the spotlight you um you know you're not necessarily somebody who would be plastered all over the newspapers or on the internet and you, your life is normal just like the majority of us it's so hard to look at or people find it difficult to look at these celebrities and not put them on a pedestal and it's something which I talk about all the time because 
it's it's such a catch-22 in the sense that it, not even just footballers but also you know like singers and and artists and all of these other people in the creative industry I think that we forget like you said that they are human and they don't have you don't you don't get to hand your insecurities back when you get that title of whatever you you know the the, the um, Premier League footballer or um, the Grammy award winning you know you don't get to hand your insecurities back when you get to that stage and I think that it's such an issue that we definitely need to talk about more in the sense that we can't preach about mental health and preach about, um, you know, be kind and all of this if we're not having the same energy and the same attitude towards the celebrities which we are meant to look up to. And um, I see it all the time, like even, you know, Khloe Kardashian's recently been absolutely dragged because she edited one of her photos and then there was a live picture of her and she looked nothing like the photo that she posted. And, um, but then like six months ago, we were all like hashtag be kind and, and this and that. And I suppose, cause you're so deeply involved with the one-to-one experience with the footballers, you can see it from that perspective as well. Um, what, what would you say to add to that um, in terms of how it individually affects the, the people who, who you work with? Well, I think obviously we're, we're dealing with a high performance environment and in order for them to perform, it's almost a catch 22 cycle because yeah. let's say you've got a player who is out of form, isn't performing for whatever reason that may be, you know, um, they might have a niggling injury that is actually affecting them a little bit, but they're having to play through pain barriers and stuff like that because there's, there's pressure from the manager or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the fans don't see that background to it. They only see what's happening on the pitch mm-hmm. when actually that player thinks that he's doing the right thing for the football club, for the fans, you know, he's putting himself through uh, the pain right. barrier. To, yeah. Putting himself through pain to, to just play, play the game, but he's getting torrents of abuse um, based on that. So that there's no positive outcome that can come from that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that side of things, because that's only going to drive that person probably more intrinsic, more in, in, become more of an introvert rather than, you know, have the bravery to take that shot from 30 yards out and score the winning goal or, yeah. um, you know, actually want to even be on the pitch for a start. Um, so that's probably the, the thing I would say is that there's no positive effect that can come from the trolling and all the rest of it or, um, or, or the negative media scrutiny, you know, that was out there. And you're exactly right with what you were saying about, you know, it's all right to say, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Hashtag six months ago. But then, you know, ultimately I think the media and the wider public as well, but the media have a, have a huge responsibility to, to change the way that things are dealt with because, you know, Caroline Flack is a perfect example of, mm-hmm. of what can go wrong yeah. with somebody in the media spotlight. You know, she was dragged through all sorts in the media and then this is the outcome. And all of a sudden, you know, the media are saying, what a shame and this that, and the other. But they hold a lot of responsibility for, for what actually took place uh, with that. Um, and, okay, she's not a footballer, but she's somebody who's in that... Uh, scrutinized environment the same as footballers are yeah um, you know and we are just probably fortunate that that not many footballers have um gone down this this line because it is a it is a a, a pretty prevalent you know the, the ratios are probably very similar to normal life um within a dressing room the amount of people that suffer with depression or mental health and anxiety yeah. is probably very very similar to what it would be in an office space yeah um, it's no different they're not invincible people yeah that's kind of the message that I wanted to put across as well by having this conversation with you because there's two ways to look at it there's obviously your perspective because you're you're in that area you're working with them and you see what happens to the players but from everybody else's perspective like an outsider looking in it can be so easy for us to look at these people's lives and careers and um you know look at them and and be sort of 
envious that they have all their shit together and life's good and they're earning incredible money and you know it, we look at them and this also then fuels this can can also contribute and fuel into to other people's mental health issues because it's almost like we see Instagram, we see the highlight reel, we see everything looking perfect and um, we see all the good stuff, the new cars, you know, the, the lifestyle and holidays and this and that. And then people start co then comparing themselves to that person and like their life is so good. And specifically if that, the, the, this person, person A is having a bad day and they are, they are feeling a little bit shit about themselves and you know, they've got themselves into a bit of a dark place, open Instagram. And then all of a sudden, all of these people who are, you know, just like the footballers that you've talked about, it can look like everything is like hunky dory and, and everything's perfect, but actually it's not. So I think this is, this conversation, I really hope helps to shine a light on that situation and just encourage people to look at it from a different perspective. You know, people aren't going to be talking about their bad days on social media, the majority of people. And for, for a number of reasons, but the main one is because maybe they don't want to, like maybe they're not comfortable to, to share it. And maybe they, you know, they've got their own insecurities that they feel like they can't actually address it publicly. It would be great if much more people were speaking out about it, but I also totally relate to people who don't want to share it. Um, and I think that celebrities themselves have got so much pressure on them to overshare. But then, like you said earlier, that's then a catch-22 because the more that they share, the more that they are scrutinised and um, pulled up for things. Um, so I, I really hope that this conversation just helps the listeners understand from a different perspective that it's not always cushy behind closed doors. Yeah, and I also think, you know, from a social media point of view, you need to realise that the, the, obviously the top, top players probably don't even manage their own account. Yeah. You know, so their brand manager or whoever, you know, what sort of picture are they trying to present of that yeah. person? So it's not necessarily a true reflection of that person, of what they would like to show the world. Um, because, it, it, you know, it could be managed by their agent or their agent's company or, or whatever. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think again, just kind of taking a little step back, not taking everything for, for, for gospel um, that, that these guys or, or celebrities are putting out there and yeah. realizing that actually their own private thoughts might be, might be quite different to, uh, yeah. to, to what's put in the public domain. Absolutely. And the other level to this conversation as well is that, and this is something which I talk about all the time, I've actually got a blog in my notes, which I have not yet finalised, but um, in relation to this subject, in that people, I actually talked about this recently on another podcast too, but um, having the idea that when we achieve a certain point in our career, it automatically will bring us happiness or it automatically bring us the feeling that we think it's going to feel like or what we're anticipating to feel so for example when i'm earning x amount of money i'll be happy or when i've achieved this position in my career i'll be happy and we're constantly chasing and constantly like focusing on that point and we think that once we're there then we'll be happy and um some examples that I used in my I don't think I had any football references but some examples that I used were um Robin Williams when he um obviously he's was one of the most successful people in his career in terms of um comedy and acting and um he obviously wasn't happy to a certain extent because um unfortunately he's not here anymore and Kate yeah. Smith, she was one of the most successful designers in the world um, again, he's not here anymore. And it's, 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 it's that thought process that think that where you're thinking, um, I'll be happy when, and if we just stopped chasing that, if we stopped comparing our lives to other people's lives and stopped thinking that the happiness is always going to come and instead focused on how we can be happy now and what we can, what we need, what we need to be happy now. Um, it's absolutely amazing to have 
goals and things to work work towards like absolutely you need that because that's what's going to keep you motivated and, and keep you excited but excitement and happiness is different um so i think that's it's just a really good example as well to sort of look at it from that perspective yeah yeah totally totally and and the thing there that we actually spoke before the podcast didn't we and something that i've i've read a lot about educating myself about and probably changed my own mindset on is changing that metric you know um to particularly for our business to be less focused around profit margins and more focused around service because ultimately the two will go hand in hand eventually yeah Um, but if we are continually day-to-day looking to be better as trainers as people as a service to our clients then you know then we're winning do you know yeah. what I mean we're, we're always winning and we're always developing as people and we're learning from things whereas if all we're focused on is the noughts at the end of the month uh, on the paycheck hopefully not all zeros um, then uh, then it, it's never enough do you know what I mean it never becomes enough um and and so yeah i think and and the same with a footballer you know my my advice to a footballer would always be you know i don't i don't talk to footballers or the clients about you know the the contracts or the paychecks or whatever it's performance driven so you know do you want to spend the rest of this season injury free for example because if you're injury free you're more likely to perform straight away if you're injured you can't perform do you want to um, become stronger, fitter, faster to enable your performance to improve. Mm. You know, do you want to have a target of scoring 20 goals this season? But as a result of scoring 20 goals this season, you need to be on the pitch and you need to be fitter, faster, stronger. So, mm-hmm. you know, those foundations are much, uh, much more in keeping with a healthy mindset, I would say, yeah. than focusing on the contract or the the payday or the money because that's all the byproducts you know one of the things i read recently which was a book by simon sinek called starts with why so um great book yeah and he talks about the yacht doesn't he and he says you know the yacht in the ocean isn't a measure of success success is achieving that why why did you set out to do the project why did you set out to go into an industry why did you set out to be a footballer in yeah. the first place, you know, you start to be a footballer probably because you were talented at it and you loved the game. Yeah. So if you lose that why, then well, then you are, are you? in the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't exactly. mean the compasses, the values, and beliefs, or something like that. So the waters, the waters, the environment, the ships, you, and I think he, he doesn't he use some sort of analogy to say that if you don't have the values, you've got no direction. And if you don't yeah. have your goals, you've got no purpose or something like that. Yeah. 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 So true. Yeah, definitely. So that, that kind of be the, I guess the underlying thing that I would say, going back to your original question about people, you know, having aspirations to get more and more, which is fine, but always look back at that internal a Y and B, change your metric because you're not going to get the rewards anyway if you're just focused on the rewards if you're fo- focused on yourself and factors around yourself and to improve those things be that you know going on a course or um you know putting that bit of extra extra work in you know i'm a firm believer in hard work like ultimately my income the social media side of thing my instagram will just show you pictures of training in front of the burj al arab great but what it doesn't show you is struggle that it took to get there and it doesn't show you that you know i wake up most days at 5 a.m to 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 start work and and working through till 8 p.m at night it doesn't show you that no. um so yeah it's um it, it's very important to kind of have those foundations i would say yeah absolutely and then also to, to just in the same respect as you because i can relate to that as well um in that you know you have to put in the work it doesn't just come overnight you don't just get everything given to you overnight it has to be continuous graft isn't it i suppose yeah. specifically in the first few years of business um 
but also going straight back to the players that you that you work with it's the same with them you know they've not just woken up um overnight and have been given this really successful career and they have to graft for it they have to be training every time you know every day they have to they've been training for years and years and years probably since they were kids um to this career get to this yeah and um just going back to the mental health perspective of other people who are comparing themselves and and constantly being in that desire of needing more or wanting more and then not being happy with what they've got if that's you and that's and you're listening to this and you're you are desiring that you you know you need all of this you need more and more and more what are you graft what are you putting the graft into like what are you focusing on are you focusing on improving your skills getting better at you know your job or 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 are you focusing on the fact that your life isn't the same as these other people who have been working for years um as I, I, I sometimes i flip between the whole tough love in the sense that um you know comparing yourself to other people and and how easy it is to do that and how easy it is to say um you know i've been working hard and i'm not to this point like i i feel like i go between that being um sympathetic and 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 being a coach where i can meet the, the person where they are but also the other end of the spectrum where it's like you have to work hard you have to put the hours in you have to you have to graft like you don't just get given things and if you did just get handed to things on a plate everyone would have achieved what they wanted to achieve like it would be easy everyone would have the body that they wanted everyone would have the bank balance that they wanted everyone would have all of these things and it the reality is you have to graft yeah yeah Definitely, definitely, and I, I um, actually there's a there's a podcast in particular, rival one, um, from uh, Jake Humphrey in the UK called the High Performance Podcast, and he interviews a lot. He interviews a lot of elite athletes and stuff, and one of them, you know, Robin Van Persie, who was a great footballer, but um, kind of at times in the media for the wrong reasons or wrong perceptions. And I was very surprised with with the input he had. And he talks about a time when he was kind of in that stage. So it was kind of 25 years old, looking at other players, Thierry Henry's of the world, who were world-class superstars. And he asked the question of the manager at the time, why am I not in the team? Mm. And he basically said, well, you don't do the same things that these guys do on a daily basis. <laughs> so you're not at their level, but you're not at their level because of your own habits and your own things so he went away and he actually wrote himself a letter of where he wants to be in five years signed you know addressed to himself signed by himself and uh, basically exposed some home truths strengths and weaknesses he put down his strengths uh, of what he you know his skills were and then he put down his weaknesses as well uh, of what he needed to work on to get to that level Um, you know and he ended up captain in his country in the world cup captain in arsenal winning the Premier League, achieving great things. But it took that moment of home truth. And actually, off the back of that podcast, I, I've, I actually did the same. Yeah. Uh, and I recommended it to, to one of our friends, Lewis, as well, to do the same. Um, you know, and it's just about kind of development, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm good at. In order to get better, this is what I need to do. Because ultimately, where I want to be in five years is here. Mm-hmm. And without identifying those things, those building blocks, you're not going to get all, really. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I love that. I, I love the idea of, of writing a letter because writing a letter is, is it's something that I get my clients to do all the time, specifically with like negative emotions or if you're constantly feeling like, you know, anxiety or sadness or depression, just writing a letter to that specific emotion. It's really powerful because it brings up a lot of things which you might have thought about, but when you start putting it into words, it brings out so much more. And the, the, just knowing that it's a, a letter to you, but it allows you to sort of look at it from like an objective point of view. Yeah. Like it's not, yeah. like it's something else. Definitely, definitely. Like one of those things I wrote in there was about gratitude because ultimately, you know, where we are working is a fantastic place, but it becomes the norm. Yeah. And, and it's really not the norm. No. So actually, we need to be very grateful on a daily basis that, that yeah. this is our work, this is our office. And not everybody has that. So that gratitude was something that was in mind that every day kind of pinch yourself and realize, you know, 
you're, you're in a very good space um, mm -hmm. and be grateful for it because it might not always be there. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Gratitude is something which is so important, even, even from a mental health perspective as well. If, if what you focus on grows, doesn't it? And the more that you focus or look for the things that you have in your life, which you take for granted, the more that, that, that you're going to be, um, you, the more that you're going to notice things that you do take for granted, like you said. And there's so, I, I think like with gratitude, people can sometimes look at it as a bit airy fairy and like, why would I, you know, saying what you're grateful for, like, but there's so much power behind it. Like even yeah. like you just said, like being grateful for where you live, because it's so easy to forget that some people don't actually have homes. Some people don't have running water. Some people yeah. do not have a bed. Like some people yeah. sit on the floor. And if you can't think of anything to think of, if you can't think of one thing that you're grateful for, there's definitely underlying issues because anybody who's listening to this, first of all, has got a device. So you know there's there's so many so many things that you can just just say thanks for and and like i said the more that you focus on being grateful the more that you'll notice all the things that you forget about so yeah i love that do you do you incorporate that in your day-to-day -day? uh i don't necessarily incorporate it in my day-to-day -day, i wouldn't say um but it is something that i do reflect on um not at set points yeah. throughout the year, but multiple times throughout the year. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got, uh, I've got monthly goals that we look at for the business and I reflect and think, Oh, actually, you know, we've progressed really nicely here. Yeah. Be grateful for the fact that we've been able to do that. Um, you know, even throughout the COVID, um, lockdown side of things, you know, for it, it was, it, it was, it was a tough period for everybody throughout the world, staying yeah. indoors and, and not being able to go out and stuff. But, you know, what we were kind of regularly saying is we're grateful that we live in some a location where we've got guaranteed sunshine, for example, and we go out and have a coffee on the balcony in the sun every single day. Well, that, that's a small thing, but it, it was a lot for the day, <laughs> you know? Um, I love that. And, and even, I mean, what it did teach us, because we, we were... We were under a pretty strict lockdown here in Dubai. Yeah. You know, could only leave the house once every three days. Um, had to get a permit to leave. Couldn't leave the house with anybody else on your own only sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So even just walking to the shop became something to be excited about and uh, and and um, grateful for really. So when they did relax, relax the lockdown, you know the most basic of freedoms of leaving your house became. Uh, a real huge huge thing yeah interesting so. you guys did have it tough over there we've been quite lucky here in, in Sydney, but you're totally out of that now right and it's pretty much BAU yeah 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 I think the I actually think the way that they did it was uh, was pretty spot on to be honest yeah. because now we are back full of the business we're, we're thriving in terms of you know, day-to-day -day life we can we can get out and about obviously keep social distance wear the mask yeah. um which they've been on since since march a lot of other countries the uk and stuff are only just implementing that and i'm not sure how strict it's being implemented <laughs> um but you know <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but you know you know thankfully um we we were on it from day one really yeah that's good um so I know we briefly had a discussion previously to this um, about how you were saying that most clubs implement some sort of mental health, um, did you call it a, a, an advisor or something within the club um, yeah. where they have that support? Uh, I just yeah. I know you briefly touched it earlier, but I just want to come back to that because I think that if there's anything that we can get out about having this conversation, it's that because um, so many people will look up to the, 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 the guys that you coach um, and simply by just looking at your Instagram, anybody will be able to see the caliber of people that you're working with and they are influential people. And I suppose the message that I sort of just want to get across is that um, if you are in a, in a situation where you're struggling or if you've got, you feel like there's something that's just not quite right within you and, and you're having um, 
really negative thoughts that you that are making you feel a bit uncomfortable it's okay to talk um so yeah I just want to come back to the the mental health advisors that you were saying are within the clubs and just if you could just give us a little bit of an insight as to like what's available for the the team as support yeah yeah I think um ultimately the first protocol is speaking to somebody and within the club they tend to have a welfare officer um as I think most businesses tend to do really. Um, sports psychologists now are there on site as well with a, with a lot of clubs, particularly the top two tiers in England. Um, so that again is somebody who's trained in, you know, dealing with mental health and and issues around that. Um, and then the other one, which is quite pioneering, and there's not many clubs that have got this, but one of my former clubs, Cambridge United. Um, have really taken the ball by the horns with, with the mental health space, to be honest. Um, an old colleague of mine, Matt, kind of led on that. And now everybody within the management structure at the club, and I think the entire youth team as well did it, actually, um, is mental health first aid trained. Um, so they're trained to recognise the signs and symptoms of people who are suffering with depression, um, they're trained in, you know, how to approach that subject with people. Um, and then obviously the pathways um, moving forward, you know, who to advise to refer to or, you know, that side of things really. Um, so I would say that's something that more clubs need to do. Yeah. And I'm hopeful that that will take place moving forward as well mm-hmm. um, obviously there's a big push in football with Prince William's Heads Together the campaign and more and more mental health charities getting involved now uh, Mind are a sponsor of the football league as well so there's a lot more uh, happening yeah. around around that space um, but the mental health first aid training I think is something that um, you know not just football any business any person really should do because ultimately you know I'm sat in a hotel lobby here and there's probably seven eight nine people who are all first aid trained me being one of them yeah from a physical point of view but how many people here are mental health first aid trained and ultimately the mind controls the body without the mind you uh you've not got a functioning body so uh so yeah it's it's something that I think is a gap that needs filling absolutely there's um i'm mental health first aid trained too and it was i I did it it was took me a day it was um really informative um i obviously i already worked in the space so a lot of the information that i was given i already knew but there were so many people who were there that day who who didn't know the information and was really informative for them um there's a company in the UK called We Are Hummingbird. I don't know if you know them, Chris. They're from our area. Yeah. Um, basically, um, the charity started off the back of um, that they were a band. And one of the um, guys in the band committed suicide. And they've essentially formed this charity off the back of that um, because none of his band members had any clue that he was struggling. Um, so it's run by a guy called Ian and John. They're amazing. They do the first aid training in the UK. So anybody who's listening who is in the UK, definitely hit them up. They're on Instagram. Um, but it's definitely something I would recommend everybody to do because it, it shows you the signs of spotting somebody who may be experiencing some sort of mental health issue, but also how you how to approach it, how to have that conversation to you know to to talk to them and what to do and how to advise so it's definitely something that there's definitely a gap there you're right um i do i do sort of get the impression though that the uk are quite forward in terms of being proactive and and pushing things like that specifically in the last 12 months um well that's what i like to think anyway yeah yeah although i mean I, I do agree with you from that side of things um my uncle's actually a mental health nurse and you know as part of the whole covid family quizzes that were going on um we we had one and they hope you know my uncle and auntie hosted it and they, they did an nhs round and within that 
one of the questions was asking about how many mental health centres, specifically there were in the UK, NHS ran. Um, I can't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but it was incredibly low, incredibly low. Yeah, you're talking probably, um, I don't want to speculate on the figures, yeah. but incredi incre like surprisingly low. I was, I was a couple of noughts away. I think I said something like you know, 10,000, and it was more like 100 um if that so yeah it's uh it's it is something that obviously is growing but i do think there's still a huge huge uh, gap in terms of the funding in terms of the facilities that are out there to to deal with this yeah I, we've got such a long way to go such a long way to go um and i suppose it just comes back to it really coming down to that individual that individual person and just first of all if you're somebody who you you know you think that you are mentally in a good position making sure that you are supporting your friends you know making sure that everybody in your circles okay and you are offering them support but also the other way so if you are experiencing anything you have to be proactive about it you have to speak out and and there's so many people who are literally waiting to answer that call and help you through it like so many people um so yeah i think um that i know that you chris have experienced something in your own personal life as well um i'm not sure if you want to touch on that a little bit as well while we're on the topic yeah 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 no problem i mean the the passion for mental health and suicide prevention stems back unfortunately to actually having lost four people to suicide all male um, in, in my life. So when I was 15, 14, actually, um, I lost two of my uncles uh, within three weeks of each other, Simon and Stephen. And, uh, and that was my first, you know, experience of it. Uh, both my mum's brothers, um, 14 at the time. So I was probably a little bit shielded from things, you know, my, my mum and my family uh, probably, you know, shielded me from it and I remember quite specifically at the time uh, my mum kind of saying it needed to be a driving factor towards doing well with my GCSEs and uh, and things like that but I also you know I remember it it was it was a real struggling time uh, you know of course. around that I actually remember at one stage post um, post that I think it was just I think it might have even been the day before um, we had the funeral for my second uncle and I was at football training and um, I was having a bit of a bit of a nightmare of a session to be perfectly honest couldn't concentrate passing all over the place still is now um, but uh, but I remember just breaking down in the session because I'd, I'd you know played three passes wrong or whatever I just remember breaking down completely and uh, the coach didn't know, the coach didn't know at all because I'd not spoken anything about it. Yeah. And then it was only then that I said, you know, well, I've got my, uh, I've got my uncle's funeral again tomorrow for the second time in three weeks. And, um, and then I was captain of the team at the time, actually. And I remember at the weekend we were playing a game. I got to half time. I couldn't cope with the game. I, I had to go home. I, I just literally walked off the pitch. And I couldn't cope with the game. And I don't know, kind of, I don't really know how I dealt with the situation because I was, I was quite young. Um, but then fast forward 10 years and, um, and it unfortunately came back into my life. My, my mate Yanni, who, you know, we used to go to the gym together. We met when we were at Runcher College. At, uh, well, we used to play football against each other a lot anyway. He was a very good footballer. So we had that kind of respectful, competitive relationship. And then uh, when we got to college, we were in the same football team, same friendship group, started going to the gym together every day, um, remained good friends uh, since. And then, uh, and then I remember just getting a call one day saying that Yanni had took his life. And we had no idea, to be honest, that Yanni was suffering from depression at the time. Absolutely no idea. I'd met him three weeks, roughly four weeks before uh, for a bit of dinner when I was working at Bolton. And, um, you know, very, very clever guy at uni, just a, a, just graduated with a law degree, first in law. 
great career prospects ahead of him, but obviously just uh, something that, that wasn't, wasn't right. Um, and, you know, one of the big regrets, I would say, is that he hadn't spoken to me about it or other people about it necessarily and how much in depth that was. Um, so that would be, be the, the next one. And, and then fast forward a, a year, I actually then lost another very close mate, somebody you know, Dean, who, uh, you know, Dean was, uh, Dean was like my, uh, my brother of the same age that I, I didn't have. I've got a younger brother, but, you know, the, the kind of the brother from another mother sort of uh, vibe. We used to live together and um, again, met him at, at Runcher College and through the football links. And uh, yeah, um, that, that, was, that was a real, real blow. Um, two years prior, myself, Dean and Yanni had actually been away on, on holiday. I got a picture of us from that holiday in Cyprus. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, that, was a, that was a shock. But, um, you know, to be honest, after Yanni's death, it, um, it probably challenged my own mental health. Well, they both challenged my own mental health, uh, you know, a lot because it, it was the, the third and fourth time it had happened in my life. And it made you question kind of what's all this about, what's going on. Um, I wasn't particularly happy at work at the time uh, after Yanni's, Yanni's passing. And, um, you know, coming back to what we were saying about kind of core values, I, I would say I, I went away completely from my core values at the, that time, like, you know, I view myself as quite a, an energetic person, somebody that people, you know, look to for, for leadership at times. And um, I just, I'd just gone completely in, in my shell, really, completely in my shell. And if, if I'm honest, and I, and, I, and I didn't ever speak to anybody at the time, but I think if I'd have been to see a doctor at the time, they'd have probably prescribed me or, or diagnosed me as having depression to be yeah. honest in some some variety mm -hmm. um and then you know kind of worked my way out of that and i remember getting to the following january and uh this is where goal setting comes in really and i just thought to myself right that year's boxed off we're going to move forward and i'm going to move forward and achieve things this year um so set myself a, a list of personal goals of professional goals because um, that was something else that I'd just gone away from. I was always very, you know, Dean, Dino used to call me busy. Uh, it was like, oh, you're so busy, mate. Because I was always reading scientific articles or watching YouTube videos, you know, to try and improve what I did. And um, and I'd lost that. I'd completely lost the hunger to do it. And, uh, you know, I got to that January 2017, set some goals around traveling. I wanted to go and see three new cities. I wanted to achieve um you know run a marathon but never run a marathon before so i'm going to run a marathon this year you know personal goals uh it was just a very vague one but it was go do one course every month is what i said one course minimum a month whether it was online whether it was in person whether it was an expensive one a free one it didn't really matter but just one course a month uh read more it, you know i said i want to want to read more um and ultimately i didn't achieve them all but I think I got about eight out of 10. So in my head, I was like, right, well, I'm 80% a better person than I was last year, you know? Um, so, so that was kind of, you know, the dark reaction into kind of a more positive way. But along the way in, in that was, was Dean's death, which was obviously a massive, huge curveball uh, to that because, you know, I got myself in a good headspace moving forward and then all of a sudden you know this 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 happened and, and the, one of the people who I thought would you know probably be the best man at my wedding um was was no longer with us mm -hmm. um but I remember specifically it, it brought me and my mum very very close we were already close anyway but it brought me very very close to my mum because I, I remember thinking when Yanni died and I hold it up I didn't speak to anyone um you know went into my shell this time I'm not going to do that. I'm going to speak to my mom. If I'm having, you know, a bad day, um, I'm going to talk. You know, talk to her 
And there was multiple times that I was on the phone in tears, you know, driving into work in tears. And, um, you know, the guys at Cambridge that have put this mental health first aid uh, thing in place, probably some of the impact of putting that in place came from probably seeing me in that way because Matt, Matt was a very good mentor to me at that time, um, the guy who's instigated it. So, um, you know, then Dean died. And, and yes, it... it uh, it obviously hurt and it took a while to get over and there was a lot of always reflecting back on why and, and all this, but I still tried to move forward with yeah. everything. Um, you know, carry on with those goals that I'd set and I've, and I've done them every year since, to be honest with you, I've done them every year since and the byproduct of that is what you're seeing now with, with the professional side of things here because it just kind of made me think you've got to take control of your own life. We're not here for long. You've got to be you know, gratitude again. You've got to be grateful for the opportunities that are, are in front of you, the opportunities that you have to progress as a person, progress professionally. Um, very much you're in charge of your own destiny to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, Sorry. Yeah. So, so that, that's kind of the, the background to it all, really. But again, the message I would say is that, you know, at different points, well, with, with both, with, with all four people that I've lost throughout this, it's a case of they didn't reach out and speak to anyone. They didn't, you know, my uncles, we didn't know that, well, first they either, anything was wrong uh, with Simon in particular. Um, and, um, and that, and that it was at that stage that, you know, it got to that extreme. Yeah. It got to that, that extreme, you know, the first I heard of, of anything, um, any mental health issues with Yanni was, was too late. Um, you know, with Dean, we didn't know the, the underlying reasons as to why he was struggling. We knew something was going on, but we didn't know what that was. And, you know, me and Dean used to speak every day on voice note, like multiple times a day. We couldn't leave each other alone. And all of a sudden, it was radio silence. And, um, and, and so, you know, speaking out is, or, or speaking to people and getting a, an adequate solution is the only way, really. Um, Chris, what would you say? Because um, from my experience and from what I know in this area, a lot of a lot of the people who don't speak out they don't speak out because they don't want to be a burden they don't want to trouble people they don't want to pass on their their problems to somebody else yeah so from your point of view having this happen to you now four times granted that you know with your uncles because you were so young you probably wouldn't have been the person that they would have reached out to but your parents would have been so what would you yeah. say to anybody who is having this inner battle and they have that mentality of that I'm not reaching out because I don't want to pass my issues on to somebody else what would yeah. you say to that person that th those issues are a collective issue to anybody that loves them really I would say right. because ultimately I don't think anybody that really deeply cares about somebody would want to envisage a life without them in it um, so, you know, I'd give everything in my life to sit and have a beer with Dino and Yanni again, you know, I give everything there's, there's no price on that. So the fact that now we can't affect, um, you know, what, what the outcome has been will remain a regret for, for, forever really. Um, so yeah, I think to, don't, don't feel like it's a burden because it's, it's really not a burden. Do you know what I mean? If, if your friends and your family love you that much and they really are true friends and family, then the solution will, uh, will happen. Yeah. It's actually the opposite of the burden, isn't it? It's the total opposite. It's that you yeah. know, if you're surrounded by good people and your friends and family do care about you, which is everybody, everybody's friends and family care about them, they want you to tell them if you're not okay. They want to be able to make sure that you are okay. Um, so it's yeah. the opposite and, and, and my, my whole coaching um, 
the way that I coach is, is helping people understand that little voice in their head. And that little voice can be so overpowering. And whatever you think, whatever that little voice is saying, you believe to be true. Yeah. Believe that voice to be 100% facts, no matter what it's saying, because that's how our brain works. It looks for ways to prove your thoughts are right. Um, so the more that you keep that inside your head, the more intense, the more extreme these thoughts are going to get to the point where you believe that you are a burden. You know, you believe that you, um, you can't talk to people. You believe that, you know, you're, you're battling this by, by yourself and it's, it's being proactive. It's being knowing that as soon as these thoughts start creeping in, don't wait another week. Don't wait another two weeks, pick up the phone there. And then it's in that moment that you need to take action and you need to start reaching out and sharing and sharing the problems with other people. Um, and like you said, Chris, with, um, I think you said it was with Yanni, you was with him, you know, a few weeks before and with Dean, you was talking to him within 24 hours before he passed away and it can happen that quick. Like that voice can just, you know, get out of control so quick. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think educating, you know, everybody should try and educate themselves a little bit more about how the brain works. And, and that's something that I've certainly done over the years by reading books like the chimp paradox and, and things, you know, you know, we don't understand the, the way that this thing inside our head um, operates. So you might think that if you're going through a tough time going in, you know, sitting in the bar and having, you know, drinking till the cows come home is the right thing to do. But ultimately it's not because it's spiraling you even worse. Yeah. Taking kind of things in, you know, putting, putting action, positive action in place by identifying what the issues are, speaking to the relevant people around you that you've got the support and then coming up with a solution and a pathway to, to making the positive changes. Um, that's, that's what you should be doing really yeah. rather than just drowning your sorrows, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it just comes back to that whole fixing a problem with the short term solution and not thinking about the long term solution. So we can all find, find things that we can do in the moment that are going to, you know, make us feel better there and then, you know, getting drunk, getting high, whatever it is, but long term, it's not going to help. Yeah. Long-term, it's just going to create more problems. Um, I'm actually in the middle of writing some, an online course and I wrote, I love to use analogies because I think when you use an analogy, it helps you visualize a concept rather than just to hear it as words. And I've not got the exact script now, but it was along the lines of when you go into a supermarket, you um, would usually get the same things every, every week or every two weeks on your weekly shopping list. You know, we all have the same go-to foods and you would know exactly where it is and you would go up and you would collect that item and put it in your trolley. And then there might be occasions where, you know, someone's asked you to get something. So like your partner's asked you to grab something or um, there's something new that you want to cook and you're not sure where in this, what aisle it's on or what, super, what um, section of the supermarket it's on. So you just ask someone and then they will direct you because they're the experts in that area and they know where you can find it. So it's essentially a fast track way to finding it. Or you can search the supermarket and find it yourself. And if you compare that to the brain and how the brain works, it's the exact same. You know, the information is there for you. Absolutely everything that you need to access is in there for you. You can either find it yourself or you can reach out and, and ask somebody else to show you how to find it. And, you know, no matter what state you're in, whether you're in an anxious state, a sad state, a depressed state, um, I call it an unresourceful state because all you can see is errors. All you can see is 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 a place where it's dark and there's no answers. And often it does take somebody else to just show you that different, you know, different perspective. It's like asking the person in the supermarket, just can you show me where to find this? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think that's a really nice and kind of relatable uh, way to look at it, really. Yeah, um, 
I think that would be a really good place to finish this conversation, Chris. But I think that everything that you've shared has been so helpful and it's great to have chats like this with people like you who've got so much experience and knowledge and um, be so passionate about the subject. So thank you for being so open. Um, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on uh, Instagram at Chris underscore Elite TSMDXB. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't have a business Facebook and stuff, to be honest. I just drive it through the, uh, the Instagram. But yeah, you can follow the, the journey we're doing there or reach out, you know, if people people have similar things you know it's it's i'm more than happy to to speak to people because it's something i'm passionate about um and and obviously the other one making people aware of the different resources that are available people like yourself charities like calm samaritans uh heads together you know there's there's a lot of places people can can reach if if they need to speak to someone that isn't directly involved in their life um but yeah no thanks thanks for having me on it's it's, it's been a, a great chat and um hopefully the the impact is is positive from it yeah absolutely um thank you so much for taking your time chris and um i will see you very soon excellent cheers thanks nikki bye Thank you so much for joining us on our Are You Okay campaign and I really hope this conversation helps you realise that nothing is out of your reach. If you feel like you are struggling right now, please reach out to a friend, family member or medical professional to seek help. I promise there are so many people waiting for your phone call. If this was helpful, please reshare on your socials and tag at Mindhouse School and don't forget to leave us a review.